This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Borat, subsequent movie film, The Witches, Hubie Halloween, and Sin Chronic. Oh, and don't forget our fifth movie, Aaron and Abe's Chocolate Christmas. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Hey, Abe, hello, hi. Out Now is a film podcast where Amy and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies, be your voice, just for your review. The occasional commentary track or something completely different. And this is uh, episode. This is, uh, this is another uh, review episode. We got we got a lot going on. This is a pack show. Wow. Let me let me just put you've it out there the, right now. You've seen the title. Is yeah. This is a pack show this week. This is episode 424. 424. Oh wow, we're back to palindrome territory. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. It it does. I'm, I'm trying to find this area code. That you, <laughs> real quick. Uh, I'm gonna guess um, hmm, somewhere in Georgia. Is it? Am I right? You're on the opposite coast. Oof. Okay. All right. Idaho. It it, it is the state of California. Ooh. What? Like literally, it's a state of California. That's the area. Huh. Okay. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, four two four. That's what we're talking. Well, that's not what we're talking. That's what we talked just then. What we're talking right now <laughs> for the rest of this episode are these four movies that we've seen that we plan to review because why not? This week we're talking Borat subsequent movie film, The Witches, Hubie Halloween, and Synchronic. A whole smorgasbord of movies. Um, yeah, that is that is the plan. And joining us to go over most of these things and more <laughs> with us, we have writer and film reviewer for Edge Media Network, wearing a wig and gloves to hide his true form. It's Kevin Taft. It's true. It's true. I'm hiding my true form. I don't know what that true form is, but it's got to be better than what I look like right now. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, how are you doing? Um, delightful. How's that? I mean, it's... As good as I can be in a pandemic. That, you know what? That's a pretty good response, That's given the, good, the yeah. weeks of guests we've had on this show and things to say about how they're doing right <laughs> I'm now. I'm going to start using delightful again. <laughs> it's my sarcasm. I mean, Mata. <laughs> Mata, guys. Make America delightful again. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Mata. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but no, Kevin, good to have you on here. I feel like I've tried to get you on a number of times, and now we're like, well, let's just get you on to talk four different movies at once with us and make that work. <laughs> And uh, it's it's will nourish us till Christmas. <laughs> but no, good to, good to have you here. Good to good to be able to talk to you about a, a variety of movies this week. But before we get to all that, let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, it is October. It's almost the end of October, but it's still October. And uh, we've been doing all of these horror-themed episodes throughout the month, which have been really fun. Uh, we've talked about diversity in horror. Friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary. Arachnophobia for its 30th anniversary, and just recently, uh, Giallo and Italian horror films, which was uh, super cool as well. We did a lot of research on that one to uh, match up to Brandon Peters, friend of the show, and his knowledge in that topic. And I think we did a really good job of, of breaking down a lot of films from people like Dario Argento, Mario Bava, Lucio Fulci, and, and more. So uh, check that one out for sure, along with all the other ones. And we still have one more to go, which is also our new commentary track for the month, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. That's going to be fun because it's yeah. it's fun to talk about perfect movies. <laughs> and, um, Are you going to dress up for it? Of course. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, okay. gonna to dress up as uh, Marty Balsam. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to wear my hat and have my notepad and take notes as if I'm interviewing uh, you, who's going to dress up as Norman Bates, of course. No, I'm going to dress up as like a, 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 a decrepit old woman. Okay, so you're, just saying you're not going to do anything at all then? Yeah. 
Okay. He's going to be dead in the attic. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. That's next week's show. That is our commentary track. And uh, speaking of which, all of those shows can be found on iTunes, along with every other episode we do. And if you want to log on iTunes and give us a rating and review to 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 uh, validate our, our crazy nonsense podcast, feel free to do that. Search for Out Now Throwing Dave. Give us a star rating and a written review. That'd be great. Probably five stars. All the five stars. Many many stars are, are yeah. very welcome. If you did five stars as the actual rating and then just kept on doing stars in the in the comment section, I'll send you a gift. Yeah, that's a bribe. <laughs> it's not a bribe. It's just more of like a compensation. <laughs> right. So you're yeah, paying yeah. for gift reviews. You can't see us winking at you, but we are. I'm, I'm sure that's how politicians phrase it, right? Compensations. Yeah. This is everything we learned how to uh, how to do. We learn from the departed. Matter. Um, so, <laughs> you think you're better than me? No, that's that's that, that departed. Uh, no, it's uh, who are you? I'm the guy doing my job. <laughs> you must be the other guy. <laughs> Remember in the uh, the West Wing special last week on HBO Max when they threw Martin Sheen off the building? Yeah, that was very sad. That's, yeah. that's I don't know why Leo was there. That was a great cameo. Yeah. All right, that's enough of that nonsense. Let's. Uh, what else? Okay, one other thing. What as far as show notes go, as far as this episode's concerned, actually. So I mentioned we're going to review Synchronic, the new film from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, uh, which I, we're excited to talk about because it's a movie worth discussing. But in addition to that, I actually have an interview that I was able to do with Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Uh, that's going to follow the end of this episode. So what, by the time Abe, Kevin, and I we kind of wrap up and go through our plugs and everything. After that, you'll probably hear a little music, and then you're going to jump straight into an interview that I had with those directors. So stay tuned. Don't turn it off right after uh, you, you stop hearing our voices, because as much as you might want to, because we get really annoying after two hours, you're going to want to keep listening. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that's going to do it for show notes. Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, one of our favorite things we do here recently, what we would have talked about this week were the world not to fall into some kind of crazy despair universe that we want to escape desperately from. So this is where we this is where we go over the movie that would have come out this week were things not to have be changed in this post-Bloodshot era. Uh, so, guys, this week, if everything was the same, here's the movie that was going to come out. That's right, you guessed it, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe spinoff starring, oh. Hen- starring Henry Golding as Snake Eyes. Huh. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't even know that he was cast as Snake Eyes. Oh, 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 he's cast. And I'll tell you this. Before, yeah. I, before I ask you how you feel about seeing a presumable Snake Eyes movie, I will let you know it's. it also stars Iko Uwes from the Raid films. I'm interested. Uh, Samara Weaving as Scarlet. Uh-huh. And various other people that are less important than those. Uh, but there, oh, is a, okay. there is a Storm Shadow, of course. And I will also mention it's directed by Robert Schwenke, who directed Red, The Time Traveler's Wife, Two Divergent Films, and R.I.P.D. I don't know how I feel about this anymore. But so, yeah, so with all of that information <laughs> yeah, in mind, how would you, Kevin, how do you feel about a Snake Eyes movie? You a G.I. Joe guy? Number one, I had no idea this movie existed. Number two, I never watched G.I. Joe. So I have no clue as to what any of this means. <laughs> so I would have not have seen it. <laughs> How's that? Fair I like enough. Sam- Sam- I like I it. Like- That's great logic. Snake Eyes is he is like a a ninja character that is also a part of GI Joe because why not? And he never speaks and uh, uses swords instead of guns. That's Snake Eyes. Huh. That's, Was that's he formerly bad and then turned good? No, I think he's just okay. all he's just kind of like a mystery because he doesn't talk or remove because he's he's all dressed in black. He has a helmet on. He doesn't say anything. Yeah, which Literally. is why you, which is which, yeah exactly which is why you cast Henry Golding to to not see him. 
Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not a martial artist, to my knowledge. Abe, w- w- are you excited for a Snake Eyes movie? You know, I, I don't think so. And <laughs> that is that is not a takeaway from everything that you just said. I think, for the most part, I didn't know that the GI franchise was, was continuing. And then when you think about, I guess, this cast, the, the three cast members that you named, the three leads, are pretty solid and like them in their own vehicles. But like what you said... Snake Eyes is a character that doesn't say anything, so are we going to get a, like, 15-minute backstory where you see Henry Golding? I mean, I'm before sure it's he, a like, two decides hour, to, like It's a two-hour backstory, I suppose. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, b- b- before he takes, like, a vow of silence kind of thing? I, I'm not really sure. But I don't think that would have been crazy excited to see it because of the director. <laughs> but, uh, sure, maybe why not? I mean, if, if you told me that it was great and you see everything, uh, I might go see it. I have a feeling I probably wouldn't tell you it was great and you need to see it. But, I mean, <laughs> they're making a Snake Eyes movie. I, I feel like I feel like Snake Eyes is a, is a character that's best served as a person that happens to join every now and then with the G.I. Joe as a supporting character. Yeah. So an entire movie based on Snake Eyes sounds like making an entire movie based on Venom. It's just a bad idea. But we'll see what happens. I liked Venom. <laughs> Did you Less like lobster eating? Did you though. like Venom or did you like things Tom Hardy did in Venom? Um, you know, I don't know. I can all I can say is I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we already talked about Venom. Let there be carnage on another episode, but I, sorry, I, I will right. say this: I'm more excited about that one, <laughs> just because of how much I hope it embraces its bug nuts craziness yeah. compared to that first movie but we'll see what happens i hope that i hope that they actually just revealed that woody harrelson's wearing a wig i i hope he has diff- many different hairstyles throughout that movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but speaking of this movie where I'm, i presume we will not see many hairstyles at all from snake eyes uh, it was going to come out uh t- this week obviously but it's now scheduled to arrive exactly a year from now october 22nd oh. 2021 um so no harm, no foul, I guess, on the delay of guess, Snake Eyes, yeah. since no one's seen anything from it beyond the fact that it exists. Even, yeah. even then. They don't have they don't have to stay in shape like Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, and he, but, but he loves it. That's the thing. He loves staying in shape. That's he true. can't stop complaining about it on Twitter, that's for sure. He looks great. <laughs> yeah. Um, make him Batman. He's got a jaw now. Look at make him Batman. Make, yeah, make Kumail Batman. That's the campaign that I'm watching. We should probably do that. We should probably start that campaign. <laughs> make Kumail Batman. Yeah. Okay. So that's Snake Eyes, obviously. Let's um, let's move on now. We have so many reviews to get to, so let's go, let's go through this as best we can with our first review for Borat subsequent movie film. Fourteen years ago, I released movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee Land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! Borat! What do you say? No, it's not me. Borat, come back! People make recognize my face. I would need disguises. This man is a sex criminal? No, no sex criminal. I will take this to be a fat <laughs> like American man. Yeah? This is a good one. <laughs> Where is his crumb? That should have been some of the trailer for Borat subsequent movie film, colon, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Thank you. That was the important part. Um, This is the stealth sequel Sasha Baron Cohen made 
as a response to what he's been seeing with the Trump administration, how America has changed in the 14 years since the first film. And I think, I believe unexpectedly as a way to look at the impact of the coronavirus as filming had to unexpectedly deal with the pandemic. Uh, this time Borat is pushed to go back to America as opposed to being executed for his <laughs> efforts during the first film, ideally so he can bribe someone very high up in the government office with a gift which was originally going to be something else that I won't spoil, but it turns out to actually be Borat's daughter, Tutor, played by Maria Baklova. Kevin, are you in on the Borat character, and what did you think of this film? Am I in on the Borat character? Um, <clears throat> sure, I am. Um, <laughs> when I saw the original, I didn't think I was going to like it because I just, I don't know, it just didn't seem like it was going to appeal to me, but I don't know what he does, but he makes it appealing so that there's that um no i was i was interested because he, he always has interesting commentary and it's very sometimes i mean even as over over the top as he is it's subtle and at the same time so i really liked that um but i i thought it was really funny and very entertaining um but i also con was concerned about adding the daughter it's kind of like adding cousin oliver to the brady bunch <laughs> um but i thought she was fantastic like she needs, she needs either her own movie or she at least needs an Oscar nomination. I don't know. I thought she was fantastic. So I enjoyed it. I do have thoughts about the Rudy Giuliani scene, but we'll wait till everybody talks. Sure. To get into sure. that. Abe, we haven't talked about Borat because well, one thing the podcast didn't start until much after, but just in general, it doesn't seem like we've ever really had the deep, meaningful conversations that most podcasts have about Borat. So with that in mind, <laughs> where are you at when it comes to Watch. Borat and, um, and this film? Well, you know that we, we love, uh, we love the, the quotes on the podcast. Uh, great success. Um, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I like Borat. I, I've liked him since the Ali G show um, as like a side character that, that um, Sasha Baron Cohen plays like in terms of like Sasha Baron Cohen's three main characters, from the spinoffs, like I still like Ali G a lot uh, because of like his insane, ridiculous nature. And you're both gangsters. Yes, yeah, yeah, booyakasha. Um, <laughs> and we have Borat, who I think is is second, and then Bruno. I haven't really seen as much of Bruno. Like I'm not talking about the movie, but I'm talking about just like uh, his his show versions of of Bruno. But with that being said, I, I Borat's subsequent movie film is I, I don't know if it's as fresh as like the first one. I I, didn't, I wasn't caught off guard by by too much um and i think that he's actually trying to go for perhaps maybe more of like a a, a statement this time like he's got something that he really wants to to say and to prove um versus just like saying uh, you know proving how how ridiculous some american traditions are um in the first one not to say that they're they're still not ridiculous in the second one but um i do think that maria is very good in this movie as well um i think that she's really bringing like a lot of i i mean i'm just gonna say the word range i guess but she's bringing a lot of range to the to the uh mm -hmm. um to the character like fearlessness um, would be another word to use fearlessness is a great term to use yeah <laughs> because basically she's going up there um in multiple situations and having to commit super hard to the to the role um but as like the i think like the the uh, as the bits like kind of fade out, you actually kind of really get this like this father daughter story, which a lot of people have mentioned, and I think that's probably like where the the heart of the matter is. And I think really the other part of it is upon dissection is kind of like the humanity within 
like Americans, even as ugly as it is, um, it's very, like it, it's it's like a fun time, not a fun time, but it's kind of like interesting to see him live with like two people that he doesn't know. Uh, I don't know for the for how long it is, but it's interesting to see them talk about. It's presumably for a few days. I mean, yeah, it's got to be for a few days. Like, there's a delivery that takes place at one point, so it's like (laughs) it had to go at least long enough for him to get an Amazon order in. Yeah, it's got to be at least two days then. Yeah, with Prime, but um, you know, just like the topics that they discuss is are things that these two character, these two people feel strongly about, and yet here they are just like taking like this immigrant in. Like, it's very, it's like the the irony of it is great, but also they're actually kind of there to really root for him and help him. Like when they actually go to, to some other rally to go talk to, um, uh, Tutar again, it's like they're, they're, they seem very genuine, sincere about this, uh, you know, crusade that they're on. But overall, I, I think that there were like some bits that hit better. I think there are some bits that kind of maybe don't work as well. Um, but I think that everything was fresher in the first one. And because you, you weren't really sure what you were going to see, it reminds me of like the Jackass series. Cause I, I do, I do like the first one on that level of like the jackasses where it's like, this is insanely funny and I don't know why like it's hitting such like a hard chord with me, but the second one, maybe not as much. Um, some, some parts just kind of fell through. I thought the third jackass was the best one, but that's me. Um, jackass 3D? Jackass 3D, which I also named one of the best 3D movies of the last decade. <laughs> For Borat, I, I'm not as... It's not that I'm not a big fan. I've just I never watched the Ali G show before Borat happened, before the like the movie arrived, and so like I I wasn't in on Baron Cohen in the way that others were from the get go. Um, so seeing Borat, I was, and I also like I missed the for whatever reason I missed like the opening weekend of Borat, so I didn't have this kind of like audience connection the way you would for a comedy like this. So watching that first film, I was like, okay, it's funny, but like I never thought about it much again beyond hearing the constant sure. refrain of you know people yelling my wife or what have you so it's like whatever so i I, it's like as far as a shock humor thing goes yes it's funny in the moment but i've just never felt the need to revisit it and i feel i feel largely the same about this one as far as a comedy is concerned now granted we're also and that said there's a lot of people that really like the movie as far i mean kevin you like the movie as far as being a comedy there's a lot of people that really laughed at it i feel like not having again that audience aspect to it I don't know if that diminished it, but for me, it just feels like the impact seemed minimal on a comedy standpoint. There are other things that I do think are quite effective, but as far as just a movie that made me laugh a lot, I would say maybe laugh a lot. I laughed a number of times, like it's funny, but sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it as like one of my comedy go-tos. Um, that said, the effort put into making this movie is very impressive to me, along with the things that he's pointing out. I agree with you, Abe, just by default, the movie can't be that fresh because... He literally has to hide himself because of how well known he is. So it's like there's no, there's no, there's no way for this movie to be nearly as fresh as it is. That said, as much as Borat has become, you know, a part of pop culture, the world changed in a way that's not. Too, I mean, we'll get into this, but there, it's not too. The I think the shocking parts about Borat were the fact that the you know the movie was, quote unquote, exposing a lot of you know unsavory thoughts let alone racist thoughts that people in certain parts of america have and making that very clear where now brett in this time he's less exposing that and more just putting a microphone next to what we're already hearing from a lot of people because they're just so more it's so much more nakedly obvious of how much hate there is out there or just 
misinformation that's turned into a certain ideal or a certain ideology. And I find that to be quite interesting because a lot of the marks in this movie, not including certain politicians or what have you, I think aren't like necessarily the worst people. It's just more they just seem confused or just have their head in the wrong place despite probably being genuinely good people outside of some of these thoughts like those people you for example you talked about that they live that he lives with for a couple days i've heard baron Cohen talk about them in interviews as far as he doesn't see them as bad people he just sees them as people that have like consumed too much social media and now have crazy beliefs Involving like Kunan, Kunan, Q- QAnon, QAnon. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know it. I don't. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't. I was like Kunan, is that a guy that we know from high school? I don't dig far enough down that well to know how to properly pronounce these things. <laughs> um, a new cycle, man. <laughs> but regardless, I, it was hard for me to laugh at some of it just because I started finding it sad. Like that was that was a lot of my my issue with some of these skits. Yeah. That said, I completely agree as far as both Cohen and Baklova goes because they are. They are fearless. You have to have a certain mindset to perform in these roles and not break and make that feel convincing as it can. I have no doubt that there's a lot of very clever tricks and what have you to kind of edit this together to make it feel like a cohesive narrative that's both telling a fictional story as well as presenting it within a live reality. And I, I can see some people being less enamored by how how easily they can see the seams of that. While I'm sitting here thinking this is very impressive, like the, as far as a direction standpoints go, I, I'm it's neat to see to think about like the effort put into filming certain parts of scenes and then filming real scenes and stitching that all together to make it feel, you know, like a fake documentary that it's supposed to be. So like, I I, I guess I was really impressed on the technical level of making this all work. Things like him dressing up as Trump during a, or a, a Republican convention, like. The, the amount of effort you'd have to do to, to make pull something like that off and like not get caught is kind of amazing. So it's like all those details I was really into as far as how to make that work. I mean, as far as the as far, just real quick, and I'll wrap up. As far as the daughter father daughter story goes, it's there. I mean, I, I can't say that I like felt for it in the way that I seem seem to see others responding to. It just felt like all right, like they did it, and it's it's a nice arc, I guess. But I can't say I was like emotional over a Borat movie. It was just like all right, they, good job, I guess. Did they ever? Did we ever hear anything about the in the news about somebody dressed up as Trump going into a? That's a. I wondered the same thing. I was like, because I don't, I don't remember ever heard that story. Well, I mean, no. I, just, I don't think it's a big enough story. And who would you report it from? I guess. I mean, they, I, know, I mean, maybe that's like, a huge story. Somebody yeah, I think it would be huge, right? Right. <laughs> like, well, hey, the vice president Trump? had somebody interrupt him that looked like a Trump impersonator. But would you? Yeah. Would you? I guess. Would you? Which new which news stories would put that? I I just don't like as a random convention in Texas that happened at one point. It's CPAC, for a, for which a, is like a large major conservative. Yeah. For uh, for a guy that's just yelling a bunch of stuff that's escorted out of a building, I just don't know what story you're supposed to tell there. There was a guy that interrupted the convention today. Like that's the extent. Yeah, of it, with like it? a woman over with a woman over his shoulder. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I like I, I thought the same thing you thought, Kevin, which is. Did this make it to the na- the national headlines? Because it seems like something that I would have heard of. Um, and I was like, I wonder why. I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it, it's like the Mickey Mouse or it's like the Disney situation where it's like if you don't bring it, if you don't breathe life into it, it'll it'll never reach the surface kind of thing. So and like um, there's so much crazy news. Maybe I mean, it just kind of blends together at the, at this point. Right. Which is sad. Potentially. But I, 
I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like seven other crazy things that also happened during that same 24 hour news period where it just got buried. I was going to also say like, yeah, it's probably a lot of things that he had edited out too. Um, but um, right. no, Kevin, I, I wonder what you thought about like with regard to, I guess the, um, the politicians that are involved, not, not specifically Rudy, but it felt as though it felt as though he, because they had to like weave into this second movie, a father-daughter storyline and how that actually plays out as like a real narrative versus mm-hmm. just him going through town to town and talking to people and trying to like bring uh, Kazakhstani um, relations uh, to the forefront. Like, I wonder how you thought about like some other interactions that that might have happened in this in this uh, subsequent movie. Um, <clears throat> well, specifically, what though? I, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I guess more just like, were you shocked by anything? Um, that, well, there was something. Now I have to remember what it was. Um, I think I was a little bit more. I was I, I was a little perplexed by the two rednecky guys that he goes to stay with because <laughs> I didn't think that he really stayed there for that long to get an Amazon package. So my thought was like, did they set that up ahead of time? And then. That was the only sequence that I was like, is some of this scripted or is it not? Because it just felt too. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't but know it's scripted, but, have, but there has to be like a an agreement made where, regardless yeah. of how like aware they are of what they're going to be involved in, there has to be an understanding of like, look, there's, you know, this guy's going to be here with you and we'll pay you a certain amount or whatever, and just you know, be your like, be yourselves or what have. Like, I don't think it's scripted. I just think there's whatever convincing they have to go through early on is just like a neat proposition to be made to people. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was, it was strange, but I will say that, you know, it, we talk about the mother, daughter, mother, daughter, the father, daughter <laughs> um, storyline, but I, I feel like it goes a little bit beyond a father, daughter storyline because she is a girl. I mean, as over the top as it is, who believes in all these traditional uh, or like, there's another word there's another word outdated like female uh, very very yeah yeah and and the subtle change of her starting to understand like that's not right i think Mm -hmm. that was more affecting than the father-daughter stuff because you could see it slowly happening to her and it wasn't just like you know the light just came on and she's like you're right it was you know really understanding like this isn't good for people and it wasn't just the, the like there's that woman that babysat her uh-huh. which right. had to be another one like i can't believe that she actually went through with it because <laughs> i would have been like i'm being punked this yeah <laughs> I, I thought the same thing it was like when the ball and chain shows i'm like all right something's going on here but i, I agree with you that like the the solo journey storyline of tudar in this movie is it is like a, a aaron i mean you use the word fear, fearlessness yeah um and I think that like her individual storyline is fearlessness in in that again she's committed to the role, but also it's like really uh, I'm I'm happy to see all these folks, even some of these conservative women when she goes to like a group uh, session, mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to see some of these conservative women even say like yeah of course women can do X Y and Z kind of thing, not as though like I'm living in the dark ages, more just like oh it's it's good to see that again the humanity aspect of like what people bring to the table is there. It's just that like not everybody is on the same page about like political things, I guess. I mean, it's very strange for me to like develop. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I agree with you because what I, something I do like about the film in that matter is, is despite 
the way the world has evolved i do think that there's not there's not a lot of meanness in this movie like i, I do because there's an, i think there's an easy way to really poke right. fun and it does but i don't think it's trying to necessarily insult many people there are certain people that deserve it <laughs> more or less or right. they don't need or like baron cohen or they don't need to do anything to to show why these people are wrong but as far as right. th- as far as them being the instigator of certain jokes or what have you it's never at their, it doesn't feel like it's at their expense very often you know what i mean does that make right. sense yeah 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 exactly and that's why i think like you know sometimes like sometimes these prank shows go a little bit too far when they start hurting people's like people on an emotional level or physically or what uh-huh. have you like when the when the prank is on you like when you're the when the prank is on the prankster that's when i think the, the things are are more fun and see, uh, to see not not to say that like you're hurting yourself or whatever you is, is good but more just like okay cool well the ultimate payoff and the and the punchline is that you're the joke you know what i mean um and that's when i like it because i don't like when quote unquote these punk shows on youtube where like you know you're you're um you're pushing people in public or what have you like stealing people's bikes in public. Like that's not a prank. That's just like you being an asshole. And I don't think Borat is being an asshole in any of these. Um, it's more of like, yeah, no, let me, let me no show you how in him. ridiculous that, he might look. I think that's why the character right. works. There's no maliciousness in Borat. The, there's obviously a satirical just, element of what he's trying to accomplish, but it's not about him trying to be an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, I, I think like one of my favorite things about this is that, he does develop relationships in these movies, um, whether it's like a recurring character, like in the first one um, with uh, his director. Uh, but then also like he in the second one, he meets like this guy who just faxes him things. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, I really enjoy this. You barely know this guy. You've seen it like twice, but I really like that this guy is like. He's well. He goes all in. He's, he's like, yeah. He's just like going all in. He's like, I'll read. Like, okay, just write sup. And I was like, S U P question mark. <laughs> yeah, right. the, next, the next fax is chilling, and then the next fax is like, they just sent you a bunch of angry faces. Like, I love this interaction. It's so simple. This guy probably hates this the other dude uh, for like you know making um, uh, him do this on camera. But at the same time, I was like. I just like that there's like this genuine interaction here. Well, again, it's a it's a business for one thing. I mean, he's paying for the like the, I assume that the documentary team or like in the waivers and what have you says like, look, we'll pay you a bunch of money if we can close the shop down and like do this stuff with you for an hour. Like I, I'm sure like and it's probably like yeah, all right. Like, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's silly, right. but uh... it's silly and it's a transaction. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Aaron, which is. Um... Well, actually, I can't remember it, but I, I guess I, I'd love to kind of just talk about like what what everybody has has sort of mentioned with like this Giuliani scene. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts about like yeah, let's get into this and then we got to move on because we have like three yeah, movies. exactly <laughs> how, how it plays out. Um, but go ahead, go ahead. I mean, y- yes, there are ways to edit around this scene, but I think the core information of what you see is there is a man who's being very inappropriate and having his hands in very bad places. Uh, with a what he believes is a younger woman in the same room with him at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that the fact that he even just went into the bedroom with her, like, th- th- there's a problem. Mm-hmm. I do have an issue with both me and my roommate at the same time, as soon as that scene was over, I was like, no, he was tucking his pants in. He was tucking a shirt in his pants. And and I know somebody, this woman, this girl that I know on Facebook was like, 
guys, how many of you really do that? I'm like, um, when you're full, when you're heavy, you will lean back to t- tuck in your pants. Tuck especially your especially your... an older man. Yes. So that, you know, he says a bit of heft on him. I mean, I think maybe it was like he he tucks it in because you could even see that the shirt being pushed into his pants. There is like another like t- like push that I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that one was necessary, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like people are making it. I mean, yes, he shouldn't have been in there and there is definitely something going on. But that moment, I think people are blowing way out of proportion. And I feel like that's what the the Republicans do a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm like, let's not be that person. Let's I feel like there's badness, but we're taking it to an extreme or people are taking it to an extreme. Yeah. I mean, like the overall situation was like kind of handsy to begin with, like what you guys were saying. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, you know, it's from both sides. Right. Um, And then, yeah, going into the bedroom during an interview, like potentially, I don't know if his security team was in the room or it seems like they weren't. And I guess nobody else was in the room. um, So it's just them two. But yeah, that's like a, a compromising situation that you never want to be put in, right? And I, I I did think that it was like a short tuck as well. Like it didn't really seem like uh, anything too too uh, crazy. But also at the same time, I'm like, hey, if it is what it is, or if it is what people think it is, that's funny too, because uh, you know, <laughs> fuck Rudy Giuliani kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's like you know, like to be honest, like I I think that it's it's given Borat subsequent movie film much more attention. Um, because it's well, he, hardly knew, anything. In, he knew in, it in, would. He knew it would. I mean, that's yeah. That's a big part of the film. And right. I mean, if anything, what this film lacks is the kind of big standout comedy moment like the first one that has that big naked fight between Borat and his producer. And his, yeah. Like that's a you know that's a huge moment for obvious reasons, and it you know it's it's the kind of like everyone's going to be rolling in theaters. I don't think this movie quite has that. It has yeah. certain scenes that are fun for sure. But, like, I don't think it really quite nails that. Instead, it pivots and has, like, two big shocking moments, right? It has the him dressed as Donald Trump with a woman over his shoulder moment. Mm-hmm. And then it has this big climactic moment with Giuliani. And, I I mean, reading that scene, it's, I guess, I because I don't disagree with Kevin as far as there's a lot being made out of a scene like this. I guess my only thought is, well, what if Cohen wasn't, you know, hiding in the corner, waiting to pop out at the right, right. time. Like, where does it yeah. go from there? I guess that's the yeah. I, I would agree with you, and I think that's why I think that maybe they didn't even want to embarrass Rudy on that level. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, because it is a. I mean, then I don't know if that's entrapment at that point, but I mean, well, because it, it, yeah, it gets into like, some I weird like territory. A lot of legal things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's funny. Is it, his line is funny that she's 15 and and too old for him though. <laughs> I, don't, I think I missed that actually. I heard the 15 part, but I, didn't get, I missed the second half. <laughs> well, it's it's available on Amazon Prime for everybody to see yeah. instantly. Uh, with that in mind, when should people see this movie? Should they go out and watch it right away? Should they put it in the queue? What have you, Kevin? When, when should people see this movie? Um, I say watch it now. I mean, you know, with the political climate the way it is, it's you know it's timely and it's you know it's hitting the nerve at the right time. So. And you know what? We all need a freaking laugh at this point. <laughs> Abe? Yeah, we all do need a laugh. I think on our old scale, I'd say this is like a dollar theater. Like what you said, Aaron, it's not really one of those things where um, I could probably see myself rolling with an audience too, too much. Um, and then like on our on our new scale, it, it's probably just something to have in the queue. Like if you have other movies that you want to see, go ahead and see those. But then this is something that you can watch after you've seen and exhausted that list. Yeah, I... I agree with, with both of you guys. I mean, I, I think it's 
it's not it for me it's not quite the most hilarious thing but at the same time i do think there's laughs to be had which is certainly welcome but if you're a borat fan i'd say watch this then go out and vote <laughs> that's actually the message at the end of this movie too i'm aware mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah all right let's move on that was borat subsequent movie film let's move on to the next review for the witches i didn't know it but there was a dark shadow looming nearby. Witches. They're real. And they hate children. Welcome. What would you do if there were mice running all around in this hotel? I would call the exterminator. You see, girl? He would exterminate those brats. Uh, rats. We would exterminate the rats. That should have been some of the trailer for The Witches. This is the second adaptation of Roald Dahl's dark fantasy children's novel, previously adapted in 1990 by Nicholas Rogue, R.I.P., and starring Angelica Houston. This new take has Robert Zemeckis, Bobby Z, behind the camera, (laughs) along with... uh, Guillermo del Toro and Kenya Barris assisting on screenplay duty. Uh, del Toro and Alfonso Coron are actually producers. I believe del Toro was uh, assigned to direct this at one point, but he's assigned to direct lots of things, so they don't all get made by him, as one would intend. Regardless, in this version, we have an orphaned boy who goes to live with his grandma, played by Octavia Spencer, in 1968 Alabama. In an attempt to avoid a witch, uh, as grandma has revealed, they are very real, uh, the two decide to move onto a hotel for a while, only to realize that they are there on the same weekend as a witch convention. Wouldn't you know it? And it's headed by the Grand High Witch, who's played by Anne Hathaway in this version. And these witches have a plan to get rid of children. Abe, are you a witches? Did you like are you a fan of the nineteen nineties The Witches? Have you seen it? And what'd you think of this movie? I have not seen the uh old witches. Um and I I remember seeing the book in the in the library when we could go to libraries and I, I like it because I like all the illustrations and, and drawings and cover art for all Roald Dahl books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pretty much fits in line with it. Uh, as far as this movie, as, as far as this movie goes, kind of just like, okay. Like I think that overall it's a movie that is something that you could throw in with your kids and watch it and have it not be too, too scary. Although I do like when they do go through some scary ish uh, type situations. I kind of found the movie to be just, Okay, like I, I didn't really think that there was anything that was remarkable about it that left me thinking, wow, this is a great job by Robert Zemeckis or, you know, this is a great job by uh, any of these actors. Um, I will say that I was kind of slightly annoyed with like the, the English kid uh, in this movie uh, just because of the way that he mumbles and fumbles, um, especially like when he's being reintroduced to his parents. Um, and I was like, this kid, I would slap this kid. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I would never slap this <laughs> I'm going to that part out. You would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I slap kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't. Um, but with all that being said, I, I think that there's really great set design, you know, production design, um, a lot of bright cinematography. I like the way that this movie looks. I like the way that they've incorporated, um, like Roald Dahl books, they've incorporated real elements of fear and angst and situational um, uh situational i guess like uh disturbances in this movie um i think that some of the practical effects and some of the stuff that that 
uh, perhaps like the original witches has done probably I, I didn't watch it but I would assume that it's more practical yeah, it's probably a little is. bit more um, uh, unnerving to say just I, I guess um, but yeah I, I didn't think that it was um, too too remarkable I do like that there was uh, what what is her name Anne Hathaway I, I felt like Anne Hathaway was having like a blast in this movie um, because she probably lost herself in the role and I didn't really see her as Anne Hathaway which is always good um, when an actor does that. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, it's 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 a nice family movie. I'll uh, throw out there right now that the witches is current. The original witches is currently available on Netflix, so it's very easy mm. to watch uh, right now. But Kevin, where are you with the witches? Um, I I haven't seen the original in years and years and years, but I remember really loving it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I think the practical effects do make it a little bit more weird and disturbing. Plus, it's Nicholas Rogue, so it you know by all appearances it's weird and disturbing um i think it even was released as more of an artsy film mm. in the 90s because i remember rogue, like, yeah, so. yeah it went to our art theater it didn't go to the main theaters um <clears throat> anyway um you know i was not like i saw the trailer for this and i'm like eh. and anne hathaway she's one of those that i'm one of those that she bugs me but <laughs> i tend to like her when i when i see her in a movie i'm like all right she did it but i feel like she's that like drama club girl that was like oh my god we're gonna be doing oklahoma and gets really excited about everything and she's just you know look i'm gonna be in batman so she bothers me but that said i actually thought she was pretty funny in this and i do think she loses herself in the role um i do i felt like i wanted it to be bigger i think she has that one big scene where she kind of goes off the rails but then the rest of it you know she just kind of follows up to that um but I thought it was entertaining and enjoyable. I mean, it's very CGI heavy and I don't think all of it was effective, but I enjoyed it when I was watching. I thought it was cute. Like when it ended, I do feel like, and I really do like Octavia Spencer, but I don't, I felt like we needed somebody who was a little bit more, who has more comedy chops, I think for that role, because there were some reactions and some dialogue that I wanted to be more punchy. And she was playing it a little too straight for me. Yeah, you need some more like feistier, or at least a feistier performance from her, which I know she can give. Yeah. And I, I, because yeah. I agree with you, I do think there's, you know, we've I've, we've settled. She is a good actress, but there's sometimes where she feels like she settles into the mm-hmm type of roles, yep. and it feels <laughs> like it's one. That said, it only builds into that because I think early on. I, re- I I was into what she was doing because I felt genuinely bad for the kid. And so she was like, right. you know, trying to cheer him up and singing and dancing Motown, Motown songs. And I was like, that, that was getting to me. That was making me feel like I was getting emotional about that because it was like, mm-hmm. this is so sad. But at the same time, it's so nice that she's trying. And then it just kind of that <laughs> fades because, well, there are, you know, witches all of a sudden. So it's like, yeah, the, the world gets a little bit different when you have Anne Hathaway witching it up to like you know her her own utter delight clearly because that's why you take this role like i i get what you're saying kevin i i know that there's like a theater kid energy that she has um, <laughs> when it comes to acting and this seems kind of like the perfect role for her to like really embrace that as far as going way over the top because that's yeah what you do with this as the grand high witch that's what angelica houston did in the rogue version which is a very good movie um, i watched it more <laughs> recently actually and uh yeah it's great as far as being genuinely scary for a kids film, right. having terrific special effects for that time that really emphasized the ugliness of witches, and just being this kind of like yeah, like this art house type of thing that happens to be a Roald Dahl novel. 
and it bombed. Like it, it made no money back yeah. in the day. Um, so it's like that's not surprising. It's a weird movie. That said, you know, I'm I'm really I'd be much rather happy to embrace the you know cult nostalgia for this one versus other various '90s kids films that have that same effect. Um, mm-hmm. This new one, <laughs> I was excited because like, all right. Bobby Z is going to take on on the witches. That means it's going to be loaded with like big old special effects or what have you. And I mean, if you're going to have somebody do that, Robert Zemeckis, who's a pioneer in the visual effects world. Sure. That makes sense to me. I don't know why he's chosen the witches, but okay. Like that's seems like an interesting palate cleanser before he does something else. That's more, I don't know, within him. Um, and then like having Del Toro and Kenya Barris on board is like, okay, that's interesting too. Let's see what that is. If Guillermo Del Toro's on, maybe that means it'll be scary. It's not really. Right. Uh, if you have Kenya Barris on, maybe it'll embrace the idea that it's a race swapped picture. It kind of does. I wish it did more of that because it is, like I said, set in 68 Alabama and it's, mm-hmm. and you, and you replace the kids with, instead of English kids or what have you, you have, you know, you have a black child and his black grandmother facing off against ostensibly mostly white witches in this hotel and even the hotel, like you have black bellboys and what have like there's there's clearly stuff at work here and the movie just doesn't embrace it nearly as much as it could to make that kind of commentary interesting in any way beyond just looking at it and being like, oh, that's interesting. And that's a shame because I do think there's so much you can get out of, you know, any kind of subtext that you want to have in addition to having this, you know, wild witch adventure film. Uh, Abe, you're not wrong as far as like there's not a lot there's not a lot like the plot of the witches there's not a lot there it's 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 pretty straightforward the the original version is that way too mm-hmm. it's more about look at the look at this crazy world and these characters that exist in it as opposed to look at this very involving plot because it's pretty straightforward they go to a hotel there are witches there they got to solve the problem that's it that's the entire mm-hmm. story um so I, is the original one also set in the 60s the, it's not i don't think it's the 60s no. but it but okay. it's it is a it is I believe it is a period. It might be earlier, actually, but I did, but okay. it is like, it's the same basic concept. Doesn't it concept. take place in London? Yeah, it is, is in it it's London. In, it's in England. I mean, it's in, it's yeah. English, and yeah, and it does like it like once it gets to the hotel, the the movies are basically the same, which is yep. kind of so I I so I agree with Kevin. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. I mean, I agree with Kevin that I do think it's fine. Like the movie overall, like I was entertained, but I just. There's so much that's just the same movie again where it's like, why do this then? Like, there's not really sure. much beyond having, you know, modern effects to work with, which are range from good to pretty okay. It's like, what's the point of this movie? And you could ask that about most movies. But for here, it's like, if you're not going to do much that's different, why remake it to begin with? And yeah, it... I think that's kind of like where I fell too, which is like, I wonder why the remake is here because – you know, knowing that this is from Zemeckis, who likes to try a lot of different things, uh-huh. like unless he mocapped those kids so that they could be like the little mice, um, <laughs> maybe that was it, or maybe he like mocapped you know, Kristen Chenoweth to be like the uh, the the uh, the pet mouse. But I don't really know what like you know when when I'm looking at the the wide grins or like the way that the noses move or you know what they look like when they're floating midair kind of thing. Like I'm not really seeing anything that. Makes me think, oh, Zemeckis really like tried to do X, Y, or Z. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I think he's he's you know the stuff that he's good at, he's certainly putting forth as far as having extended limbs or like weird tracking shots of crazy special effects scenes. Like that stuff's there, but yeah, I mean, it's not. It doesn't have that same impact as something that he you know from his heydays of of being a you know a director that's really showing you something you've never seen before. It just feels like all right, he's doing this. 
And mm-hmm. I do wonder if, like, if Guillermo del Toro directed this or if Kenya Barris had more involvement, I guess, on a uh, story level. Like, if there's, level. If, yeah. if there's a, if there's a, you know, if there's a more relevant or scarier or anything story that kind of adds to the witches as opposed to just makes another version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. I mean, I, I definitely would have liked to have seen more uh, dark elements, too. But um... like, Kevin, did you did you think any of it was would be scary? For like a certain age, I can never tell with that because I didn't think the first one was scary. So, mm. uh, you know, I don't know what kids find scary these days. Fair. So I didn't. I you know why? Because with this one, I think you 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 talked about this, Abe, is that it's super colorful, so mm-hmm. it doesn't feel threatening to me. Right. I agree. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't it... think it'll be too scary, but I'm sure there'll be an impressionable kid. It has a sitcom element to it. Like, I mean, you have, like, Stanley Tucci as, like, the wacky concierge type of thing going on. Like, there's – and, like, none of that's, none of that's mm-hmm. inherently bad, but it's just – if you're trying to strike – and I guess the other thing is this movie, without spoiling too much, it's more faithful to the original novel as far as where things go than mm-hmm. the original okay. is. And I think there's a way to make that more affecting, but this movie just kind of ends with, like, a – all right, I guess we're, like, both triumphant, but also we're still this – and it's like okay that's a direction to yeah, place it. i mean but it's like again it's just no impact honestly it's just like there's by the end of this movie i'm thinking okay i saw that you know i probably won't watch it again because the other one just does the same thing and does it better uh, and as far as like scariness of that first one i can agree it's not necessarily like there are a lot of people that were scared by the witches but i do think there's a kind of uncomfortableness because of the practical effects because you have rats that are all puppets and it just looks, you know, more, it's more tactile. You can just see it. It just feels weird that, like, kids have been turned into rats. And that's, that's sad. And it, like, presents it that way, where this just feels more whimsical as far as, like, oh, they're rats now, but they seem to be having a good time anyway. Like, it doesn't feel like there's ever a threat. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, they go on the giant roller coaster. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> and I, But, you know, it's, it's also uh, Rogue's direction. Yeah. You know, yeah, he yeah, has yeah. a lot of those close up weird angles. And I think for kids, that, they don't get like it's like what's happening and i think that adds to the creepiness of the original more so than you know the witches are scary sure but it's just the whole thing just feels uncomfortable yeah Mm -hmm. i i definitely agree it is like yeah the way it looks certainly informs that where this one i feel like the the money shot is just anytime Anne hathaway opens like her giant witch mouth it's like that's what they're cashing in on to be scary (laughs) but they do it so much and her weird nose and her weird nose but they do it so much where it just kind of wears off after a while right like it is true. Like it's some like, degree, yes. Yeah. You see, you I see mean, like, the, once like, the major reveal happens. Yeah, yeah. Once the major reveal happens, like in that ballroom area, you're just like, okay, well, this is what I'm dealing with now. Yeah. And it is kind of like disturbing to see her scratching her head, pulling out a worm and eating it. But at the same time, like there, there's not a really a whole lot else well, about you, it. And you can see they keep doing it. Like in the witches, Angelica Hughes is not going to wear witch makeup for, you know, 14 days straight so you can only do that so much right so there's a limit to it so when it comes out it it is genuinely you know frightening to be like yeah. oh that's a horror that's a hideous witch that they've made for her and, <laughs> but they can't keep showing it so it's like oh i got a bit of that but good thing it's gone where this it's like yeah. all right she's just constantly witching it up with her mouth and all that witching it up that's the that's the the, that they're going for in the hands the, the weird three fingers. yeah the hands claw, sorry and claws they have claws, claws. and and like the, the one toe long elongated toe i think that uh, at some certain points of this movie too i was thinking to myself wow this kind of reminds me of like um late tim burton stuff where he's trying to go a little more colorful in the palette yeah and maybe like um maybe like a little bit more like 
Well, they both uh, did Roll Doll remakes, so yeah. <laughs> what was what was the Roll Doll remake that Chiller Charlie Willy Wonka and the Cho- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? That that's true, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, which is very which like, is very bright and colorful for a Tim Burton movie. Yeah, it, it more so reminded me of like a Mrs. Peregrine's Home for for whatever children. Um, peculiar. Whereas peculiar, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, overall, I mean, the, the technical the technical aspects are are interesting, uh, but yeah. I don't think there's much more to add to this because we still have two other movies mm-hmm. to talk about. So if that said, when when should people watch The Witches? It's currently available on HBO Max. Should people put it on? Should they wait for Halloween? What should they do? Kevin, where, where should people watch The Witches? Um, I mean, I don't think. I mean, it's a perfect time to watch it because it's Halloween, and if you have kids or you know you're nostalgic for that type of thing, I think it's fine. I think this is a good week to do it. Um, do you have to rush out and watch it? Ultimately, no. That's yep. <laughs> that's really all I can say. Fair yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I land too. Kevin, Kevin just took the words out of my mouth. Like, do you have to run out and go see it? No, not necessarily. But it's on HBO Max, so if you're if you're around, you can check it out. Like in our old in our old rating system, I'd say like you know this is like an HBO movie. You could just wait for home. Uh, but now, now you now, are home. Now literally is an HBO. Movie. And it is. Oh yeah, yeah it is HBO. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I agree. I would. I mean, I would go one more step and be like, absent the time of year that we're in right now. I would say watch The Witches on Netflix, the original, and then you know wait a couple yeah. months or whatever, and then watch this movie to be like, oh, that's what this one's like. That, that's what not I a back to back, huh? Well, no, I don't like doing that myself. I don't like watching the first version and then watching the remake right away. But I, I, I need some time to like you know get a palate cleanser in there before I'm like, let me watch the same movie, especially one that's so close like this one is. Right. Uh, all right, that's The Witches. Let's move on now. Let's do our review for Hubie Halloween. Halloween Eve. Danger is afoot. I'm going to make sure every citizen in this town is protected. What is that monitor? Looks like you made that sash from one of your mother's scarves. <laughs> <laughs> There's something off in this town. We got an unsolved mystery here. I say Marco, you say Polo. Marco! Weirdo! Oh, Hubie, don't go out there. Shalem needs me. Not sure what's happening in this creepy town. The police department is advising everyone to stay home and lock their doors. Ah! What are we screaming at? <sighs> that should have been some of the trailer for Hubie Halloween. Adam Sandler stars as Hubie Dubois a deli worker in Salem, Massachusetts, who spends every Halloween monitoring the city. He's mocked mercilessly by everyone. However, this Halloween is different as Hubie is dealing with people who actually start disappearing. Armed with a canteen that can do almost anything, Hubie is looking to save the town. The film features a large cast that includes Ray Liotta, Michael Chiklis, and June Squibb, along with Sandler regulars Kevin James, Julie Bowen, Tim Meadows, Rob Schneider, Maya Rudolph, and of course, Steve Buscemi. Kevin, I know you haven't seen the film, so feel free to ask any questions you might have, because I'm sure you're very curious. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> Abe, what did you think of Hubie Halloween? Uh, Hubie Halloween is a movie that I think that uh, I enjoyed more than I thought I was going to. It's not to say that I enjoyed it immensely, but it was more of like, oh, well, this is an Adam Sandler that I kind of like because he's playing a character that is more or less a straight character. Um, he's not going too off the rails. He's not going too like high or too low. Um, he is who he is, and he's a good person. Which ultimately, all Adam Sandler characters are good people. Um, it's just more of like how annoying they can be before you get to that point. And Hubie is not annoying. He's he's like probably the the 
the uh, nicest character in this movie, as what June Scribble leads to later in the movie. But I, I think, honestly, like, what my biggest takeaway from this movie is that it looks great. And I don't know why. <laughs> it does, like, actually. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't know if it's, like, the Dolby Vision or the way, like, it just looks, like, I don't know. It looks so crisp and clean. I was like, I the sets look great, too. Like, you know, they're they're obviously shooting, like, on a lot um, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know why this looks so good. And that's like my biggest takeaway. It captures <laughs> fall. I think it captures fall quite well, actually. Like it does a good job of representing True. the season that they're in. Yeah. The season of the witch. Right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but uh, yeah, I do like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do like the the story in itself of like, you know, this guy loves Halloween. He wants to just ensure that kids have a good time. Um, and then, you know, there's some strange things afoot in this that he's trying to solve. Um, and it doesn't go too it doesn't go too extreme. And that's, I think, probably the, the biggest thing that I could the best thing I can say about it is that it doesn't, it doesn't go too extreme. There's a lot of cameos like what Aaron mentioned. I think the the two biggest cameos that I laughed at the most were Tim Meadows uh, and then also Maya Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also one scene with like a cat and Melissa Villasenor where I just like laughed out loud because of how ridiculous it looks. Um, but, you know, it is a movie that I think that you could um, it, uh, consume in a short amount of time and be satisfied with. Yeah, it's tolerable. <laughs> just like, yeah, I, 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 I hate that that's like an accomplishment on the part of Adam Sandler these days. It's like these Netflix movies have really emphasized the laziness of these happy Madison productions and it's a bit of a shame because I mean beyond the fact that I think we're all aware that Adam Sandler is certainly capable of doing more I would like to think that even with his comedies he could deliver something to fans that they would appreciate and I just don't think I've seen that very often in a lot of these recent movies even let alone some of the ones that were coming out before he went straight to Netflix uh, like I mean, before this, murder mystery was like okay, but it's still the same kind of. I'm just not into. That was this. Of Aniston. That was of Aniston. That one was fine. It was better than the Ridiculous Six or the the Do Over. Like, mm. it's just been very tiring uh, to see him do a lot of the same shtick. So what I like about this one is, well, for one thing, he's not. He's doing a. He's very much playing a character, where a lot of times right. he just plays like you know, sarcastic guy on the side who makes fun of his friends or what have you. And that gets, that gets really tiring where this, he's playing a very specific person. That's like a mix of canteen boy. And I mean, water boy, and like whatever, like there's just, there's stuff there that you recognize, but it, it kind of works as a, a Sandler all-stars film by having all of these people in it right. and giving you a story that's generally well-meaning. Like it's a very, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast not that anyone's pro-bullying, but we're very much anti-bullying, and the idea that this is a film that really goes after that, not unlike Paranorman, for example, I'm very happy that he actually tried to embrace a certain kind of message beyond the usual, like, empty comedy. Uh, I'm not going to say it's all that deep, because, yes, it's Adam Sandler and Hubie Halloween, but I do think there's something there that he's trying to go for as far as how to treat others, which I think is uh, there's that's, rede- that's, that's a nice redeemable thing to have here. And, yeah, there's a lot of funny parts, mainly because of the supporting cast, because it's so large. So you have, like, Tim Meadows and Maya Rudolph doing their own thing at one point, or Steve Buscemi playing (laughs) supposedly a a werewolf, despite the fact that he's not a werewolf, which is very funny. (laughs) And you see it in context, I do think that's very funny. Yeah. 
it makes up for having Rob Schneider involved at all. So, I mean, that Thank helps, Thank you too. for saying that. <laughs> <I meant to. laughs> um, so, I mean, the, like, I was I was surprised that I enjoyed this as much as I did, regardless of it not, you know, I'm not saying it's amazing, but I do think I had a, I had a lot more fun than I expected. Um, and it's probably the best Happy Madison movie I've seen in a good decade, at least. Um, certainly one starring Adam Sandler. There's some that I could stick up for more. Like there's that there's the one with Kevin James where he plays an MMA fighter. Here comes the boom, where it's like Warrior, but it's an Adam Sandler movie except Kevin James, and that one's not bad. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> so, so no quotes from uh, from uh, Moby Dick, huh? <laughs> No, not quite. Uh, yeah. It could use Nick Nolte, but still. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But no, I mean it has like I was I'm looking at this list of Happy Madison productions. It's like. I, funny people, I guess, is, but it's not. That's not a happy. That's not like a typical Happy Madison thing. Sure. So it's like the Zohan. <laughs> like, like that's the Zohan. I never. I, I've never even seen that. I, I my brother gave me the DVD for Christmas. I was like, I'm never gonna watch this. That's a real hitter. Yeah. That's like that's either you really like it or you don't because it's very extreme. But it's also another. He's playing a character type movie as opposed to, you know, just playing Adam Sandler. Sure. <laughs> so I kind of appreciate yeah. it for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think that there's a lot of good things about it because nobody in this movie is crazily extreme. You know, like Michael Chiklis might be the most extreme, and no, Kevin James like, is the most extreme with his beard and what. Yeah, no, but I'm talking about like from from what you see from them entering the movie to when they exit the movie. Fair, uh, okay. It might be like, yeah, it might be um, uh, Michael Chiklis, and then and also second close is uh, Ray Liotta, right? But everybody I, else I liked how like, Ray Liotta was game to be in this. Like, what, like yeah, just, I agree. Yeah, he's very like, much to be, to on be, like, board. Like, asshole characters that he plays, that you think that he is on TV and in movies. Yeah. Um, I like the argument that he has with his mom uh, as well um, during like, a funeral scene. But with all that being said, I, I think that there's actually a lot of like Easter eggs in this movie too. Oh, um, yeah. From all the Happy Madison stuff. That's what I'm saying. So it's like an like, all-stars thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah, with all the cats and also with all the Easter eggs. So, and again, I just can't get over how great it looks. Like, I, <laughs> okay. like, I might just watch it again, just like put it on mute and just like look at the images because it just looks clean, crisp. Like the colors, yes, the autumn colors are are, are nice, but I don't. I have to figure out what they shot this on. Like. What lens did they use and what what camera did they use? I'm sure it's just it, a it just basic like, digital camera at this point, but like I mean, Ari, Ari Red or something like that. I just think like, the autumn setting is inherently cinematic, and especially when you're doing a Halloween movie, where even if it's a comedy, you have to have a level of atmosphere. I think that gives it a leg up on some of the other Sandler movies that don't really require that at all. Sure. Like, as I like, I'm not the biggest Hocus Pocus fan, but I do think that's a well shot movie because it looks like the period. Granted, that's like Erie, Indiana. Yeah, with yeah, with Erie, Indiana, with Erie, Indiana, and uh, young Thora Birch um, from Monkey Trouble, and um, <laughs> among <laughs> those, that's the movie to call out. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Kevin, on Netflix. It's available now. Kevin, any of our has any of our talk inspired you to watch Hubie Halloween? Um, slightly, <laughs> mostly because I do like the. Um, it's funny because I totally agree with you, but like Hocus Pocus never did anything for me. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, now I it's a favor it, for everybody for some reason. I saw it in the theater, so I was too old at the time, and I was like, "This is dumb. This is for kids." <laughs> yeah. um, but I did like the feeling of it feels like Halloween night, and uh-huh. you know, the leaves in the fall. So I'm actually more intrigued just because I want to see something that feels like Halloween. Yeah. So that might be the only reason I watch it. it. 
it is nice <laughs> to see like Halloween movies that are set on Halloween, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's right, a lot. Of, yeah. We get a lot of horror. We get a lot of genre stuff. And there's only so. I mean, there's oh, there's a lot, but there's only so many that are actually set on Halloween. So like that. Right. That does feel like that's a nice change of pace. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my last two comments are one is that I don't think this is going to be a part of like your rotating uh, Halloween movie, right? It's not one of those things that you're going to watch every Halloween. Uh, I think for um, a younger audience, then, it will. Potentially, yeah. Um, and then my, my number two is like a nitpick, which is I think like the most extreme scene and the scene that I could have that makes the movie feel a little bit long is like when he just goes to go to the radio station to find out who uh, to go talk to like the radio host and yeah, uh, that away like, but that's no very, i'm not I mean, that's more, a very fun just, surprise <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but it's more just like okay well this is probably like the most adam sandlery type scene yeah uh, and then also like it just feels like it's out of place to some degree so i agree because it just slows the pace down but exactly it, it, but yeah. it is like a at the same time like well that's funny <laughs> it's a fun <laughs> it's reveal, a fun but reveal. It's, it's also like you know, it that then it took me back to like, oh, this is an Adam Sandler movie. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Uh, here's like the best thing I can maybe say about it. I not that Adam Sandler has a big, is great. Well, yeah, but that goes by default. But yeah. I not that Adam Sandler is not a big box office draw when it comes to his comedies for a good period of time there before he went to Netflix. But I do think that this one would have probably played really well if they released it in October. I think it would have been like a big hit financially. Like I would have like people would have went to the and you know obviously think. If theater things were different, if it came out like on an October and it was like Adam Sandler stars in a Halloween comedy that's PG-13, I think it would have been a huge hit because I do think it's successful in what it's trying to accomplish. Sure. But that's all I have to say about that. Hubie <laughs> <So, laughs> uh, Halloween is now available on Netflix. Um, Abe, when should people see this movie? I mean, you can check it out whenever you want. Uh, it's going to be available on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, so it's, it's never going to leave. Um, but it's not something that you have to like run out and see, uh, unless you want to see the technical aspects of it. Then see it tonight, right now. Mom, I got to see Hubie Halloween. I hear it looks amazing. Abe said that it looks great. <laughs> what did I tell you about listening to podcasts? <laughs> Give us all um, the pop stars. I, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I, I do think it, it's not essential viewing at the same time. It's good for the season. Like if you if you're if there's a kind of a broader a family audience that's not like super into watching horror movies necessarily, putting this on alongside something like Paranorman or Ernest oh, Scared Paranorman Stupid, awesome. I, I I just think like there's a fun like marathon you could have with movies that are in this league. I think. Yeah. All right, that was a Hubie Halloween. Now we'll move on to our final review for Synchronic. I want to know. That this meaning in the things I do. If you're watching this, I'm probably trying to convince you of something pretty unbelievable or dead. That should have been some of the trailer for Synchronic. This film features Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan as two paramedics and friends who are dealing with a series of unusually horrific deaths in New Orleans. There seems to be some sort of synthetic drug that's linking all these deaths together. Soon enough, a choice is to is made to take the drug in order to better understand where things are going and how understandings are being altered about reality. This is the latest film from directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have found a claim with smaller films such as Resolution, Spring, and The Endless. Now they have a bigger budget and bigger stars. Kevin, 
I believe you're a fan of these directors. What did you think of this film? <laughs> I am a fan of these directors. Um, I liked it. I thought um, it was a good. It was because their 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 stuff is a little. How do I say this? Um, it's not going to be as accessible to some people. Um, and I felt like this was their most accessible movie so far. Um, and not just because they have, you know, better, you know, more A-list, not better actors, but more A-list actors. Um, I just felt like the story, sometimes their stories can get a little complicated because they're very esoteric, which I like. And this one was a little bit more, a little bit more straightforward. I mean, not totally. Um, but I thought it was super intriguing. I think people, I think audiences will really dig it. Um, I liked I thought Jamie Dornan, because we can't get past the Fifty Shades of Grey crap, um, I thought he is probably his best role in a long time. Um, I think he kind of shed that image, which was nice to see. And I thought Anthony Mackie was really good because that was kind of a layered layered role or a layered character. Um, and the special effects are cool. And I don't know, the whole, the whole story is cool. Um, I thought the ending was a little... I, I wanted it to be a little bit more emotional than it was, but I get what they were trying to go for. Um, but I, I, I don't know what else to say about it except for I thought, yeah, again, the budget's bigger, so I think the special effects are even better than normal. Um, I think they had a nice playground to play with with the more money that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just look forward to seeing what they continue to do because it's always really intriguing and original. I will note right now that Abe has not yet seen Synchronic, and the film is currently only playing in theaters and drive-ins. It'll be on VOD a couple months from now. Um, I will also note that directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are very much about uh, promoting seeing this in a drive-in or not at all until it's available at home. They do not support going to theaters right now, and good on them (laughs) for putting that out there uh, at the risk of, you know, challenging the profits of their own movie. that said, I like this movie quite a bit, too. Uh, I, I agree with you, Kevin. I do think they have made films that are very good, yet also fit for a specific crowd of people that are willing to embrace the stories they're telling. Because, yes, they're esoteric is a good word. They are not necessarily heady. Like, I don't think they're, like, too smart for anybody. But I do think that there's a kind of approach they go on that's very that's unique. That is their mm-hmm. own their own kind of way of challenging certain narratives or, you know, conventional ideas which comes with being able to be independent filmmakers that have, you know, actors that are either themselves or others that are <laughs> on a, you know, on a on a lower level than, you know, bigger stars such as Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie. That said, having this bigger budget and having these, you know, more well-known actors, it hasn't limited them creatively, create creatively. I I do think that they all of the the vision that they tend to bring to their films is very much intact this time around as well. And that's great. It's great to see directors like this that are very specific in their choices still be able to, you know, harness that energy on a film that, you know, presumably has more people involved giving them notes. Um, that said, it's still, you know, this is well go USA. Like it's not it's, it's right. XYZ films. It's not Warner Brothers. It's not some giant studio. So it's not like they've excelled to some higher level of like we can do anything we want for a major company. But there's, you know, there's still a, a shift here. Um, and I still think the accomplishment uh, uh, of the story is both intriguing and cool, like you've said, uh, as well as one that plays to a a wider crowd. That said, the story is cool. Like, I really like what this mm. thing does. Like, you get some hints early on as to what's happening, and the film does a great job of 
it does a great job of supplying that exposition for you where you can have Anthony Mackie explaining certain things, but you also just visually take in mm-hmm. what's going on and learn about the rules of the world that these guys have created. And I think right. that's great. I think Anthony Mackie is really good in this. He becomes the kind of, he becomes the major lead in this film. Jamie Dornan's in this a lot too, but he's certainly, you know, he's supporting by comparison. And right. so Mackie, what he has to do, I, I think he's given a lot of, interesting layers to work with as far as the kind of person he is the things he's going through and the challenges he's forced to take and the film really what i the film does a great job of putting a person like anthony mackie in the scenarios he's forced to deal with given what the drug does i mean that's so that's so vague but i do think i'll put it this way anthony mackie is a black man and I do think that plays a significant role in the film that we're watching based off of what he has to go through. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's clever on the, on the part of the, of the writing of this film. Agreed. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Did you see Tenet, Kevin? Yes. I, I'm not going to get into Tenet too much, but I, but, but I'm pointing that out because that similarly, I do think that there's a different kind of energy you get when you have someone like Anthony Mackie or John David Washington black characters let alone people of color in movies like these where you don't often get that right there's not a right. <laughs> i i think that plays a role into how these characters interact with each other what that dynamic is and part, part of that's obviously coming just because you don't get it very often but also because it informs the story it informs how yep. you're kind of seeing it and i think that again i think that just really adds to what we got to see in a movie like this right there's totally another layer to it for sure you mentioned the look of the film. Uh, it it looks it does look great. The effects are really cool. Like it, it uh, you you've seen them play with this not this specifically, but like these kinds of things before and their creativity. What what do you think of them having like I guess more to work with this time around? I mean, I, I you know it's what's good is that they don't. You know, if we want to jump back to the witches for a second, sure. It's it's the difference between Nicholas Rogue and the practical, and then really overdoing it with the CGI and like, well, we can make her float, we can make her do this, we can make. And here, I don't think they they're like, we have a budget, but we're not gonna go crazy with it, even though we might have the budget to go crazier with it. Mm-hmm. They still keep it more because their their films, even though they're dealing with a lot of sci-fi elements, there's a groundedness to what's going on that makes it seem real. And I felt like that was still inherent in this movie. You didn't feel like it was them in a big, you know, in the, in the sandbox going, we, we got money, do this, do that. The the biggest moment. And this is a film that involves literally the world changing around characters is they have establishing shots of new Orleans. (laughs) Right. That's what felt big to me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. They're following from like way above and with a drone. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, wow, look at this. (laughs) Yeah. I I actually did notice that specifically. I was like, Oh look, they have a budget. (laughs) These are are directors where in two of their films, the world presumably comes close to ending. And yet this one feels bigger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) True, true. Uh, quick question for you guys. This is a, a sci-fi thriller genre? Yeah. yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say, like, it's not a... I was concerned if it was going to be a horror movie or not. It's like, it's not a horror. It's just, a, it's a yeah. sci-fi film. There's thrilling elements because of, I guess, the mystery that's going on. But, I mean, it's it's not an action movie. So, yeah, like sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How How is the score? Oh, the score's, uh, score's really good. Um, who's okay. it by? It's by um, uh, Jimmy LaVale. Um, I believe that he did two of their films, if not one of their film before this. Um, I can't remember. He did Spring. He, no, he did Spring he in did. the Endless. Okay, so he did two of their films. He did two. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, 
like moody kind of school like a it fits the tone i think it fits yeah. the tone okay. well yeah like yeah like these are guys that and i'll t- and stay tuned for the interview with the directors after this but these are guys that very much work on like all of the elements of their films like they're they're the directors producers and editors. editing yeah yeah, like, yeah. So, and, and cinematographers so what i can tell is that they you know the people they evolve themselves with very much seem like a part of a very tight crew and so i think that aids as far as you know the kind of music they want to have is the kind of music that really fits the vibe of the movie and, yeah. I, and that's certainly a benefit uh, to synchronic mm. i there's more to talk about. it's just like i don't want to yeah, spoil like, this movie and i, I, know, like, I know, uh, like it feels <laughs> like there's like a lot more that you guys are just barely scratching the surface of I mean, yeah you can't really say much in fact the, the one word you wanted to use, I don't even know. I don't, don't even want to use it. Yeah, I don't even want to use it now because of how we've <laughs> talked about this so far. But I right. will say, like, the second half of this movie really delves into the weeds as far as what the drug synchronic does. Yeah. And the the way you experience that, I think, is so cool. <laughs> like, I know we've used cool a lot. And it's certainly <laughs> fitting because it's like, I wouldn't have thought that's a way to accomplish this. And yet it does so. And it does so in such a cool way as far as even down to the placement of certain characters and like where they are at a time and how that affects what they're going to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, such a unique idea and mm. how to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish here mm-hmm. um, to see, not to get into it too far, but to speak on the ending bit, Kevin, that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I do think it plays. It reminded me of another movie, and you probably know what movie I'm talking about. Yeah. So okay. I, not to get into that, but I. Oh, you guys are I, you guys are really good at teasing this for me. But it, it plays <laughs> it plays to certain conventions where it's like okay, but I will say like the kind of lasting image I have from that ending is I think is quite good. I do I I like what they went for with that. Um, yeah. Even if it's. I, I've, I've, I haven't watched their films since I've seen their films, so I'm trying to think of like wh- where I'd place this. But I do think it, they're all pretty well spread as far as you know the quality of these movies, and they, I, I, they have a good head on their shoulders as far as how, how to pull off these films, how to make them work, and they, they don't really, there's not too much of a, you know, a difference in how much I like each of these movies. So it's not only what I think not only are we recommending Synchronic, but I just feel like seek out these guys' other films as well, which I think they're all yeah. I think the Endless is on Netflix, Resolutions on Amazon. I'm not sure where Spring is, probably on Shudder. Um but they're I think it is worth, on Shudder. So they're certainly worth checking out. Um Yeah. Spring is one of my favorites. I love Spring. It was such a surprise when I watched it. I don't think it, I've heard of that movie. It's, it's really uh, weirdly emotional. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. It's a love story and a Lovecraftian monster movie. <laughs> right. It's like the it's it's like uh to be the the what the the before series yeah mm. like a lovecraftian yeah element. it has it has that before like elements as far as two people that are just being together and it's also like a crazy monster oh. movie <laughs> is yeah. it a, a 2014 movie by justin benson and aaron moorhead that's yes yeah, strings yes. 2014 the endless was like 2017 i think or 2018 uh in resolution and they're all somewhat connected they actually all share a universe to some degree which is also mm. neat does not spring ex- share it though spring it does but it does in a character reference that's it it's not oh, not okay. as not as directly as resolution in the end resolution right yeah mm. resolution is probably the more indie you know this is our first one uh-huh. kind of movie where it's a little little rough around the edges but it does if you when you see endless, you don't have to see resolution to see the end, or endless. Yeah, but but it's they just, do there's a fun payoff in endless that involves what you've seen in resolution, which is yeah. clever. Mm. Yeah, it's not you know it's not like 
it's not like Ant-Man showing up and Anthony Mackie's there, like in Synchronic. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I guess we're, we can cut it here, especially because we have an interview coming up after this as well. But, uh, but uh, I, I just, I think we're both just really positive on this film. Kevin, when should people see Synchronic, given that it's currently in its state of release? Um, I mean, again, don't go to theaters if you don't have to, but you know, if you, if you, if you can go safely, see it. Um, there's nothing really else out that's probably worth taking the time that I know of. So definitely see it. But I mean, as soon as it's on VOD, it's definitely, you know, put it on your list, you know, top, top couple movies you want to watch for sure. I I completely agree. And actually it's, I, I, I told my lovely girlfriend about this because I wasn't sure if she wanted to watch or not because I wasn't sure how horror issue would be. So after I saw it, I was like, this would be a great drive-in movie for us to go see. And it, and I was like, it'd be a great companion to Tenet. And of course, currently it is playing in drive-ins with Tenet right now. So it's like, <laughs> it, you go. It, uh, it fits that vibe. So you don't yeah, spend half your day at the drive-in. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly worthwhile if as soon as you can, uh, uh, watch it, I'd say go check it out because it, I, I'm very much happy to support original voices in these kind of films, let alone yep. ones that do things that are different or have, you know, people of color in the lead as the lead characters for a change of piece, <laughs> which is uh, yep. certainly refreshing as well. Uh, so yeah, lots to lot to recommend there when it comes to synchronic. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, so that was we did it. We did all four did reviews. <laughs> we <laughs> knocked it out. In record time, too. I'm actually really proud of it. I, I am also impressed with how how long we've been recording for <laughs> compared to how many reviews we've done. Um, so yeah, now let's uh, let's move on. Let's get to let's get to some feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash/podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers. Then they gave us a question that we can answer as well. And Kevin, feel free to jump in on any of these questions as we go through them. First question is, who is your favorite character in a Roald Dahl film adaptation? Chris has Richard Dreyfuss as the centipede and James and the Giant Peach. Uh, I'm gonna throw in. Uh, uh, the Badger in Fantastic Mr. Fox, voiced by yeah, you cussing at me? Uh, voiced by uh, Bill Murray. I have none. <laughs> <laughs> no Roald Dahl characters. I'm no, trying uh, to think of the movies that I've seen because no I didn't Gene see Wilder. No. No BFG. Are you not a Are you not a Willy Wonka fan? I am not actually. I find it really creepy. Yeah, I find it creepy too. <laughs> I've that you like it. it no, I've now no because as a kid, because it was as a kid I was watching it, so I. I yeah, it was just disturbing. <laughs> I you know, I still don't like it. Like when he gets stuck in the tube, I find that incredibly upsetting. <laughs> I don't know. You shouldn't no, drink that I, chocolate. I, I like <laughs> no. I like that you have you know concerns for humanity. Yeah, I mean he he seems like a serial killer. It's just it's bizarre. It's such a weird movie. I don't and know. he pretends that he's got a limp, and then he does a roll. What a way to introduce yourself. Right? <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge Fantastic Mr. Fox fan, so you're not going to catch me too wrong there with anybody, but I, I do like Willem Dafoe as Rat in, uh, mm. <laughs> in Fantastic Mr. Fox quite Gold a bit. Golden Cider. With the Golden Cider, the the music that plays with him and everything, that's all yeah. that's all my jam, uh, for sure. Um, and uh, I don't know. Dana DeVito and Matilda, what, what have you. Yeah, there's, he's, a lot of, there's a lot of fun characters. Great, he's got great facial hair in that movie. <laughs> You know, looking through the Roald Dahl adaptations, I, he has a pretty solid track record as far as I'm concerned. Like, the people do justice to the movies that they, like, made involving his work. Roald Dahl, yeah. Something that we brought up, like... The Chocolate yeah. Factory, yeah, with the Chocolate Factories. And, yeah, we, talk, we talked about it when we talked about the Witch's Trailer, I believe. But, uh, no, there's a lot of fun characters in those movies. All right, next question we have here. 
What are your favorite films set largely in a hotel? Joe writes, uh, The Shining. Mm-hmm. And he has a gif of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Uh, Chris has, yeah, The Shining, also Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, where'd the other one go? There was one that said, um, Hotel Rwanda. I must have not copied that one on there, but that one's on, I think that's from Irene. And uh, Todd Lieben, now friend of the show, writes, Hotel or Motel, because if it counts, then he has the Bates Motel. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, probably a Bates Motel thing. But hotels, you know, not not in the motels. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. Uh, Dunson checks in with Jason mm-hmm. Alexander. And, uh, yes, Robbins. yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly correct. Uh, definitely the Grand in. Budapest. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one I can think of. And I'm not even a Wes Anderson fan, but I did like that one. <laughs> I'm learning so much about you today, Kevin. <laughs> well, it's funny because I love Bottle Rocket, and so I was like, I'm going to love this director, and I've just not liked anything. It's too quirky. Really? Yeah. It's quirky to be quirky, and it starts to bug me after a while. But Grand Budapest, I, I don't know. I liked it. That's fun. Like, like, that's a, like if you like Bottle Rocket, which seems very quirky, <laughs> like, then the other I know. Like not doing it for you. <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know, I felt like more intrinsic to the characters, and since then it seems like, He's just like, this is going to be your quirk. This is going to be your quirk. And everybody plays it up too big. I don't know. I I, I try every time. I can to see like what you're it. saying. Do you like Darjeeling? Actually, that one I, I found tolerable. I see. I, I can see that. I can if, see you that like, bo- like, if you see Bottle Rocket and like that, I feel like because that one's more stripped down. Right. I can see you liking Darjeeling. But that Moonrise Kingdom or whatever. Oh, God. <laughs> Bruce Willis is great in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll throw in Barton Fink. Oh, uh, oh, that's the R-rated movie that the kids go see in The Simpsons, and Barton <laughs> has to stay home and do his homework. Barton Fink, Barton yeah. Fink. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a good one. Um, I mean, yeah, it's hard to get past The Shining or Psycho as far as hotels go. Right, for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know, Dirty Pretty Things. There's one. Yeah, that's a, and that's Hotel a Transylvania. All three of them. All the the, 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 <laughs> the, the trilogy. One. The tri- The Adam Sandler trilogy. Yeah, the, the trio. Yeah. The original trilogy. That's what I call it. <laughs> yeah. um, There's a fourth one. <laughs> they're making a fourth one. Yeah. That makes sense. Hey, Jendi Tarkovsky is like, yeah, give me my money. I'll do that, and then I'll make a, I'll make Primal. And, you know, <laughs> tease you guys with more Samurai Jack, or maybe do my Popeye movie finally. Jendi uh, Tarkovsky is so talented, and yeah. he has to do these Hotel Transylvania movies, and I'm sure he loves doing it, but still. <laughs> also, a great, uh, great story that he's got. Uh, uh, anyway, the next question is, uh, who are your favorite character? Who are your favorite cinematic witches? Chris has Samantha Robinson. Uh, you can't beat Jim Henson's 1990 witches. Um, like any favorite de- witches? Design-wise, I think is what he's going for. There. Yeah. Favorite witches? Hmm. Feruja Balk and the Craft. There you go. Are you looking forward to Craft 2 still crafting? Still crafting? Um, no, I'm not. I mean, I'll watch it. I'm going to review it, but... Like, it's it's next week, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Craft Legacy? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that where she has to get those chems? Yeah. <laughs> trying to think about. Oh wait, Witches of Eastwick. Oh, there you go. Witches of Eastwick. Yeah. yeah. That's like one that. where I always confuse Angelica Houston and Cher. I'm like, which one's in that one and which one's in the Witches? Oh my God. <laughs> wait, Cher would have been fantastic in the remake of the Witches. <laughs> wait, now I'm confused. <laughs> Cher is in the Witches of Eastwick. Angelica okay. Houston. Well, because I also think... where, is that the is that the VHS cover where her hands are in the air? 
Um, no, that that's moon moonlight something. That's that's yeah. moonlight. Your <laughs> 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 hands are in the air. <laughs> that's the witches. Oh, uh, moonstruck. Moon, moonstruck. Sorry, moonstruck. Yeah. Not moonlight. I was sorry, like moonstruck. moonlight. Yeah, moonlight. I remember Sharon moonlight. Yeah, moonlight. Yeah. Where she had that emotional she, scene. She played. With her she mom. played little. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was fantastic. Yeah. No, but I think I think when they were making Witches of Eastwick, the other George Miller film, I, I think because Jack was in it, they couldn't get Angelica Houston like they wanted because like they just broke up. I think that was like part of the reason. I think that was, mm. that was part of it. Um, regardless, good movie, Witches of Eastwick. Jack Nicholson as the oh, devil yeah. doing his thing, and then you have the others. They're all a lot of fun. <laughs> it's got stuff. Uh, Suspiria is my answer. Suspiria, Suspiria? has a lot of witches. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of, either a lot one. of dancing there, huh? either one they're yeah. it's witch heavy in those movies i'm gonna throw in kiki's delivery service oh yeah boom there, there you go, go. Yeah. Yep. living on your own here buddy change of my answer good answer <laughs> <laughs> talk about comfort movies by the way you can just put that on just be having a good time it's true i might just put it on later <laughs> um what's next next question we have here what's your favorite sasha baron cullen performance chris Ooh. has love him in talladega nights just rewatched borat and it is cringe yet hilarious I look forward to seeing what Chris has to say about Borat too. Still, Subsequ- still bored. Sub- still Borat. Still yeah. subsequent movie film. <laughs> still Borat. What a great title. We didn't talk about the titles, but like the titles change throughout that movie. Yes, and yeah. it's pretty entertaining. They're all, they're, every time they're all very it. clever. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna throw in Ali G, the Ali G show, and also the Ali G movie. I don't remember him in anything. <laughs> Fair. I'm. I'm literally looking at his filmography right now going, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't totally remember. Like, he was in Les Mis. I totally forgot he was in Les Mis. Yeah, he was the, uh, one of the, the quartermasters. Thern- oh, yeah, Thernard, Thernard. I can't pronounce the name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Came in, yeah, when, you, when you're like, we need quirky people in the middle of this movie to set off the tone after Anne Hathaway killed, you know, dies. What do we get? Why not Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena Bonham Carter? Well, that just makes sense. Yeah, and then like he's got like a bunch of movies during that period too, like uh, Sweeney Todd, and then uh, Sweeney Todd movie? is like the same character too. It's like it's very, very yeah. Hugo. Yeah, then, yeah, was, yeah, I was like, what's that movie that Scorsese made for kids? Yeah. Hugo's yeah. gonna be my answer, by the way. I really like him in Hugo. That was that was the first time where I saw I was like, oh, he can do drama. And then like this year he knocks it out with uh, Charlie Chicago Seven. So. Right. You still haven't seen yeah on my on my list. Listen to our review. I'm okay. Yeah. Did you see it, Abe? You weren't there. I did. I think it, it, it's what you guys said is right. I think I, I was I was watching it and I was like the the first parts I was like I know that I know that Sorkin is reaching his bag here, but it also feels like these are lines I've heard before. Like there's a lot of just during like, that whole entire like uh, judge sequence with um, Langella. I'm just like these are lines that I've heard from a few good men. And yeah, there's a there's a supercut online of of matching really? that yeah matching this movie with other lines of dialogue that are exactly the same from other sort of things yeah and i was like i don't what's going on here then you know what i mean but ultimately i think you guys are right like there's there's a writing there's a aaron sorkin the writer and then aaron sorkin the director and i'm like i don't know if these two mix the the best which is why i've kind of been hesitant to watch molly's game i mean i, I stopped listening when you said you guys are right so that's fine there you go um, <laughs> but, um... tell them they were right What's the, uh, what's That's the my next Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> the next question is, uh, uh, what are your favorite kid-friendly horror films? Uh, Chris has Paranorman, Coraline, Monster House, and Gremlins. The above uh, film took four goes to get through. What? The above film took four. Gremlins? Years. Maybe. 
for something. I, maybe Chris wrote something that I forgot to write something. Four goes, four tries. He four goes. Four tries to get through. Ah, sorry, Chris. The above film took four goes to get through. I see what you're saying now. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, painful. So took him four tries to get through Gremlins. Yeah, you guys are both right. And Todd writes Beetlejuice. Don't say it. Don't say it twice. Mm-hmm. Any kid-friendly horror movies that you guys like? Sorry about that, Chris. I, I hear what you're saying now, though. Hmm. Paranorman is a good one. I was going to mention that, too. Yeah, I just watched that one. I love Coraline. Yes. Well. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, when I was a kid. But I was Little Monsters? That. With the... No, I was too oh. old. Oh, you were... Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, even Poltergeist, even though it was PG, that was too scary for me at the theater. Um, oh, you I waited. in the theater. No, I waited while well, my friends wanted to go, but I waited till video because I was too scared. Mm-hmm. I was very much of a wimp back then. Yeah. Um, I don't remember any children horror movies. I'll direct people to our family or our our, um, our, uh, our kids horror horror episode from a couple years ago where we talked all about this subject because there are quite a few options out there. Obviously, you just can't just think of them all offhand right away. But uh, I will throw out Arachnophobia, which we just talked about last <laughs> True. weeks ago. I like. Um, oh, what's the other one? The, uh, the other, the other one with the spiders. Eight-legged uh, freaks. Yes, I like that. One. <laughs> and uh, Monster Squad. Yeah, I always Monster like that Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like the Universal monsters, like they're not terrifying, but they're still yeah. really good movies. I yeah, mean, Tom Cruise horrible. is the mummy. Yeah, Tom Cruise is the mummy, <laughs> and Jack Nicholson's yeah. wolf, and. Uh... <laughs> Jack Nicholson's wolf. Robert De Niro and Kenny Branagh and uh, Frankenstein. You know, mm-hmm. all those classic horror movies from Universal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all those classics. All right. Uh, next question we have here. These are synchronic questions now. What are your favorite low-budget sci-fi films? Chris has Cube, Attack the Block, and District Nine. It's a great trio there. Any of their favorite low-budget sci-fi movies? Yeah, one that we talked about this year, uh, The Vast of Night. Oh yeah, that's nice. Oh right, 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 right. Um, Primer. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's Primer. what I was like, trying to think. Starring of Aaron and Abe. Starring Aaron and Abe, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Primer was good. It's funny. I feel like I know a ton of these. Oh yeah, you certainly review all these too. <laughs> I know, and I, why can't I think of you anything? You fan? I am, and I like like super like grounded. Oh, um, uh, predestination. Oh, oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, that's a great one. I was a big fan of that one. That was on my yeah. top ten that year. Yeah, Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook. Yeah. Sarah Snook, great performances. All right, uh, let's move on now. Let's get to uh, or no, sorry, we got one more question. We didn't get any answers though, so we will provide the answers. Okay, the last question here we have is uh, what are some great films about altering your reality? Mm. <sighs> the Matrix. Mm. Yeah, altering your reality. That's a great question. It is a good question. I think a lot of drug movies can fall into this. Yeah. Part of the point of the question, I guess. And I guess, like, other sci-fi movies like Looper, but... Oh, oh here's okay. one. Uh, the Congress. Uh, oh, yeah. Was, Congress. I really like that movie. Did you? Yeah. I went to a screening of it and fell asleep. Didn't like it? Well, I no. think it's just because it's, like, relevant today, where we've got all the characters and the Grand Marv Talkins, and I was like, oh, they, they it wasn't a lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, she was trying to tell us that this is happening, and we didn't listen to her. And then mm-hmm. she became, you know, president of the United States. <laughs> um, or maybe just senator. I forget where she goes in that in that, movie, in that show. Um, yeah. What about you, Aaron? I mean, I, sh- I said the Congress. <laughs> oh, the Congress. Okay. <laughs> Any right. others, guys? 
All right, we can move on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we get to our question here. This one's from Chris. He writes, apart from all the obvious big Halloween films, what are some others you like to watch this time of year? Also, I think you're being a bit selfish for Abe as there hasn't been an October clown horror episode yet. He's very much right. <laughs> so we'll be talking all clown movies Thank uh, next you, year at some point and make sure Abe is on that podcast. I, I plenty flub on your answer and you you attack me with clowns. <laughs> But, uh, so, are there other are there other Halloween films that you guys watch besides some of the more obvious choices? Yes. Um, well, I always watch Poltergeist, mm-hmm. Fright Night, the original Night the other night. Um, and Bad Moon, the mm-hmm. Mariel Hemingway, Michael Pere werewolf movie. Michael Pere, there's a name yeah. I don't hear a lot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Do you like the Fright Night remake? You know what? I actually did like the remake. I like I mean, it a lot. I like I like <laughs> both on, the on their page. own. Yeah. I agree. I like them both on their own, but I was I was very much impressed with how good the Fright Night remake was. Yeah. Yeah. But I watched I watched the original the other night. That movie's just really good. It's, it's a, just fun. A lot of is. lot of rollerblading or roller skating, right? Was there? Not Fright Night. Is Fright Night one? Two. Fright Night Two has. Oh, the is it Fright Night Two? Okay. Yeah. Where it's like slow motion roller skating. Yeah, they all look like chasing him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just watched that one too. Actually, it's only on YouTube. Mm. Uh, okay. oh. I was wondering how to watch it because I'm like, where do I watch Fright Night too? It's nowhere, so it's yeah. on YouTube. Good to know. YouTube. Keep yep. that in mind. <laughs> um, movies I, yeah, obviously there's Halloween and what have you. I uh, always watch the Evil Dead trilogy. That is something I watch every October. So uh, interesting. If not on Halloween itself, so yeah, that's something I'll very much. Be doing as I do because it's, it rocks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's technically taken on more of like a, of a large, big Halloween film, but I, I tend to try and catch the Great Pumpkin Charlie around. Terrifying. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> trick or treat. Trick or treat. Yeah, trick or treat. Yeah. Treat, yeah. yeah. Is that Michael Doherty or Michael Flanagan? Mike Flanagan. Uh, Dor- Doherty. Doherty. Yeah. Yeah. Brad's dad. <laughs> I don't know who Brad Doherty is. Oh, Brad Doherty from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. All right. Cool. Well. Um. Well, guys, we did it, guys. We, uh, we, we did reviewed, it. We reviewed all the movies. We did the feedback. 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 Thank you. And uh, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Once again, stay tuned for our interview. Um. I spoke with. Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead about Synchronic, so stay tuned. But after all of this I'm about to go through here, you can find all of my work and my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing movie reviews at Wheel of Entertainment, uh, Blue Reviews at YSoBlue.com, as well, and uh, some interviews on Variety every now and then. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Me on Instagram at Abe.Moo and Twitter.com slash WalrusMoose, hashtag O'Doyle Rules. <laughs> and uh, Kevin Taff, where can people find more of you online? Uh, edgemedianetwork.com um, and uh, Instagram Syros93 S-Y-R-O-S 93 Great um, You can find all the other episodes of Out Now Third Name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher SoundCloud, Podmac, and AJHWLOD Feel free to email us at, g- at outnowpodcast at gmail.com Or you can write it on Facebook or Facebook.com podcast, or send us tweets at twitter.com slash underscore podcast and stay tuned for all our wonderful Instagram posts and stories at Instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Kevin, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Appreciate for it. For sure. Fun. Yeah, glad to have you here. Stay tuned next week. We'll have plenty more fun to go through as we exit October finally. 
And uh, yeah, finally, and, you know, more like sadly. Sadly, it's been a fun I agree. Month. Outside of other elements, the movie stuff has been fun for October. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Stay tuned for the interview that's going to come very quickly after this brief pause. But until next time, so long. Hey, goodbye. How, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing very, very well, man. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. It's a, it's a nice day. I, you guys got your movie coming out finally. I'll, given circumstances, I know it's difficult for some to see it, but I, I hope that people do because I, I think it's awesome. I, uh, I was happy to see it a couple of weeks. I've been looking forward to it because I really like your guys' previous films. Um, so, so seeing this new one, uh, I want to get into it. Something I've picked up from you know watching Resolution and Endless specifically is you guys seem to like have a lot of a lot of like thought and put into like the rules of the world of the worlds of your films i was wondering how 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 focused are you when it comes to kind of developing just for a film like this which has i'm not gonna get too far into it as far as what's going on in it but as far as uh creating certain kind of rules and what's established how how focused are you in creating that like establishing that world beforehand there's this really tricky thing where internally we have to have so much more figured out than should end up on screen Hopefully all that's on screen is just what the audience needs to follow the story and thus have the emotional threads pay off and that it makes sense to them logically. But in almost everything we've done, there's been so much more to the rules or the mythology and rules mythology and all of that, the concepts and everything, um, much more so than what's up on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always tricky once you start editing the movie, trying to figure out what is the minimal amount you can put in and, and still have the, the audience follow it or not feel like they're ahead of it? And also, like, what's important? I, I know in the case of Synchronic, something that we grew really fascinated in personally was the industry of, of the manufacturing of, uh, and marketing and distribution of designer synthetic drugs. It's this really fascinating topic, but, like, there's not very many people who want to see two hours of people just talking about <laughs> molecules. <laughs> so like and 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 strange strange drug laws but yeah hamilton's pharmacopoeia exists there's a whole sh- there's a whole hamilton's pharmacopoeia yeah, there's a total there's, there's a whole so show. good yeah. it's so good so i do actually want to see how yeah. now. i guess we do yeah in in putting together a, a world like this that does have these things that you've mentioned already you, you're, the film set in, in New Orleans, was that a part of the original design, like having that specific city or just you wanted an urban environment in general? Yeah, it was it was definitely that specific city uh, very early on. Once we had the concept of the idea of, you know, you, you, can, you can take a pill and see what a place was like before, you know, um, we, were, we were thinking about different cities in America because that's mainly where America is mainly where the design of synthetic drug culture exists. And um Think about different cities in America, what they would look like in their different layers of time. And, and we realized is a lot of cities, even really well-known ones, would look really similar to each other back in the, back then. You know, I mean, uh, or even Los Angeles is a really pretty weirdly new city. Uh, and so uh, realizing that, we, we took a look at New Orleans because that place is like a layer cake where it just completely changes all the time. You know, it has... Spanish and French colonialism, totally separate from each other. The fires, the the uh, the Battle of New Orleans, uh, jazz culture, racial tensions, Katrina, 
you know, and it's, it's like it's been painted over and over and over um, and it, with all different layers. So, um, so there was that. And then uh, on top of that, uh, we really wanted to live and shoot there because it's insanely fun to live and shoot in New Orleans. Talking more about kind of the, the use of New Orleans, obviously you guys made this film. When did you shoot? Like, I know, I know you, it premiered last year. When did you shoot the film? Yeah, uh, it was shot in the cusp of 2018, 2019. We spent uh, New Year's uh, there in New Orleans. And, uh, and it was the, the original draft of the script was 2015. So I guess what's interesting about that actually is that it was written before the illness. Hmm, okay. That was your awesome background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of that as far as writing and the shooting, because obviously the year has provided us a lot of <laughs> interesting uh, uh, interesting times to deal with. And the film, while not directly connected to events that have happened this year, there's certainly you can certainly draw some similarities and things, which is not like it's suddenly new. But I do, I do, I'm curious, like if you had a certain sense of reality in mind when making a film that's set in New Orleans, has a black lead character, uh, deals with design, deals with you know drug issues within a city like that. Were those elements that are kind of factoring into how you're developing that story? Well, I'll just start. The, the, yeah. weird, the weird thing is, is just think about like think about how different the world was in 2015. Mm-hmm. And and the characters, they were those were the same characters in 2015, dealing and with the same issues, dealing with this, dealing with yeah. the exact the same same issues. Um, here's I guess I guess one way to. The, uh, I'll take a different tack than we've taken before, but it's um, one of what we didn't know was the absolute genesis of this movie was actually in like 2012 or 13. We were at this wonderful film festival called Toronto After Dark in Toronto, okay. oh, Toronto sorry, and um, uh, and we were we were in a bagel shop uh, eating some breakfast, and up on the TV was Back to the Future, and we thought we were going to grab a bagel and leave, but we ended up just staying and watching all of Back to the Future because it's one of the best movies ever. You know, but we were joking about it while we were watching it because we realized that it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, jumping up there and dancing around works really well if you're Marty McFly uh, and wouldn't wouldn't work all that great for someone else. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's just kind of planted this idea in us that it's like the past is not great for a lot of people. Uh, and it's not just race. It's it's in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I would not want to go back to. Uh, pre-antibiotic times myself, you know, um, the, the, the past is actually an antagonist to us in a lot of ways as humans. And so we just wanted to explore that idea. And so in some ways, it's always been that way. And in some ways, these issues, you know, as you say, like, like racial issues or the drug issues, um, you know, they're, they're new and they're old. Um, and that's, uh, that's one reason why this script just seemed to somehow hit. Well, you're, you're talking about kind of the genesis of the idea and thinking about other kinds of people that can travel back in time. And something I did find refreshing about, I actually tweeted about this when I watched the movie, as far as seeing a black lead character in a genre film like this, you don't get that very often, little in like POC in general. Like there certainly there are examples, I'm not saying there aren't, but I did find it refreshing because I feel like it adds a new kind of dynamic to how you're seeing certain things play out, whether that's written into the script as far as when people are existing or just the nature of how they interact comparatively when you've seen a lot of other films that have a certain kind of person that are generally represented. So I was, you've already said that you've kind of, you had that in mind. Was, was that, was that a big part of the casting process? Like finding someone like Anthony Mackie to specifically bring out 
elements of the story? I mean, well, it's interesting. I, again, the, the character of Steve didn't, his character didn't change substantially from that first draft in 2015. But the, but one thing with Anthony was, was it's from day one, we always we always were just like, hey, you are completely in, empowered to every day we get to set. And you look at this and you think about things differently from Steve's perspective. You have a perspective that Aaron and I could never have. And you are, please let us know anything ever. And he, and he, he, he would it, he would it times um i guess a, a better brief way to put that is he, he was our collaborator on making sure steve was as honest as possible sure um and uh and and he's obviously incredible in the film <laughs> so like so luckily luckily that, that that all worked out and you know he's he's one of our he's one of our great actors here and i i, I was gonna say in a for some reason he's one of our great american actors one of the greatest actors in the world yeah and the fact that he came on board into this tiny budget movie with us chuckleheads and still a mystery as to why he said yes. Yeah. There's like some romantic stories about how that happened. We still don't know, but we're just so grateful he did it. And then also in terms of, in terms of the, the issues of race with the main character, I wish I could say we had long discussions in 2015 about what race Steve would be and all of that. But the truth was, it was just always the instinct. Yeah. It was always the instinct that that's who he was, and that was the best way to tell this story. But it's interesting because obviously, obviously, the entertainment industry has everything has changed a lot, including the entertainment industry since the script was written. Mm-hmm. And um, just feel good that that it's still that it works for people <laughs> through, the, through the prism of it, through the prism of, of the times now versus then. Well, you're on you're on the ball. I mean, it's, it's like I don't know. I, I mean, it was really just like it was following instincts and being like, this is the best way to do this at the time. We're extremely proud of it. And again, just so grateful that Anthony read that script and said, yes. <laughs> so. I, I mean, yeah, it worked out. You have, you have a great cast here. And I, and specific, I mean, I, I, do, I don't know how you guys, you know, shoot the entire process you guys work with, but it certainly seems like because you're so involved on a, you know, a writing production, directing, editing, like it's very, you know, personal given the stories you're telling, regardless of how big in scope the film is like this one obviously has a, I'm not going to say a ginormous budget comparatively, but certainly there's an evolution there looking at, you know, how your films have gone. So is it working with Anthony and working with Jamie Dornan and, and, and uh, Kate Elson, like, is there a lot of improvisational elements in the script or you, or is there a very specific, I mean, obviously there's very specific beats because it's a movie with very distinct rules, but is it a, I imagine there's a collaboration there in developing these characters, right? You know, it's, that's, that's a huge compliment. Um, there, there's almost no improvisational dialogue or anything like that. There's always conversations, you know, there's, there's no way, there's, I, I, there's no way to just be like, stand here, say the thing that you read yet last night, you know, um, there's always an enormous amount of collaboration, but it's, it's, that's more conversations to help us both kind of find where, where it was always going in a way. It's, it's hard to describe the, that, that process of like, you're here and everybody knows you need to be here and you just go towards it to you click, but, but this is where the script is. Uh, so uh, no, there, there is uh, they were very, very naturalistic, which helps, uh, helps it feel lived in and helps it feel like, hopefully it feels like just a real conversation between real people um, as opposed to, you know, heroic movie characters saying pithy lines. I mean, we get a few, we get the past fucking sucks. We get a few in there, you know, um, but uh, but for the most part, we, uh, we we're aiming for a naturalism that the performers are able to bring to the script as it exists. 
knowing the that uh, the endless and resolution, they, there's there's connections there. There's even connections with Spring. Is there? Did you have anything deliberately designed to continue keeping these films within the same world at all? Yeah, there was a there's a there's a couple things in Synchronic that link it to uh, the endless and resolution and 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 Spring. Spring kind of ties into those ones as well. There will probably someday be a movie or TV show or something that like very explicitly takes place in the universe of the endless and resolution. That's something that's like, so probably kind of like, this is, that's what, those movies are like, so oddly now they become like, so, per, so personal. Those ones yeah. like resolution and the endless specifically, it's like, Oh, you want to make sure you get that. Like, don't, don't just throw anything in there. But, but there was like a, there were a couple natural points in Synchronic to tie it in and we can spoil it for you if you want. I, I, I'll enjoy looking for the Easter eggs myself, but right. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one last thing, because I, I liked hearing this. I, I liked reading this from you guys. How, how should people go and see your movie right now? Because I know things are difficult. I know yeah. you have opinions on that. Right, right. Um, right now, we think that the drive-in is the best place to go see a movie, um, although we obviously cannot wait to get back into movie theaters. You know, we, I lived in them. I lived in them, you know, like, like church. Um, and then, uh, and then also, um, the movie is out on VOD in something like that. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk to you. I'm very happy to see this movie get out there because I do want more people to see it. I, I'm, I've been watching your guys' films for a while now. So it's cool that there's just bigger and better things that are, you know, coming along. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to, to like watch it and like have a thoughtful conversation with us about it. That's, yeah. that's huge.